0: U-double-L-S-H-I-T New word
1: A-R-T-I-S-T Spells bullshit artist Hello everybody and welcome to the very first episode of Bromance Bullshit Artists My name is Boz and I am joined for the first time and forever for this show The Mighty Court Hey hello sir How mighty am I, really? (laughs) Not very. (laughs) Well, I'm judging the mightiness by your beard, which I have seen pictures of and is indeed mighty. It is now. Yeah, it
0: has grown to be quite uh, um, (laughs) unstoppable. Mustache? No. Sideburns? No. Goatee? Maybe. Beard? (laughs) Beard! I was going to say unobtainium, but that's just ridiculous and stupid. Who would ever come up with a term like that?
1: <laughs> Has it achieved sentience yet? Is that that's the thing?
0: Uh, no, but it is being used against me as a weapon. Whenever my wife gets mad, she just shoves it up into my nose because it really pisses me off, and she just <laughs> does that.
1: <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, that's fine. As long as it get to the point she starts trying to set light to it, then you've really got a problem. Yeah, because it will go up like a fucking... <laughs> just like a house on fire
0: and like nothing. <laughs> Because there's usually oil in it that's either beard oil or just whatever I just ate, Rasputin style. So <laughs> she lights my beard on fire, my whole head's going Ghost Rider in a matter of milliseconds. I mean, it's a
1: fucking metal way to die, if you think
0: about it. Well, yeah, running around with your head on fire, screaming Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, that's perfect. That's. <laughs> I mean, that 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 may have been the way the teenage me would have wanted to go.
1: Yeah, he died happy. He said he always wanted to be ghost rider i guess he just went a little too far with it (laughs) so for those who may have just randomly found this weird very weirdly titled podcast on the internet who the fuck are we um i host cinema psyops
0: regularly what's amazon oh fuck off the following show will destroy your self-worth with excessive expletives overtly descriptive sexual deviance, and more desperation for external validation than any so-called entertainment should ever be allowed two talentless losers who are about as
1: insightful and provocative as a comatose jellyfish cinema science.
0: i am one third of the now defunct obsessive cinema discourse I am one third of the, oh, what the fuck is that name? Uh, Invasion of the Saucerman cast. This part of Kill okay. the Cast. I can't even remember the name of my own show that I'm a part of. Um, I've been <laughs> podcasting now with Cinema PsyOps for just over five years. I'm on my fifth year with that now. And uh, I guest spot all the time because I am a guest spot whore. I can't get enough external validation. Well, I
1: also know another thing about you. And what's that?
0: You're a bullshit artist. You're a bullshit artist. bullshit artist. Bullshit artist.
1: Bullshit artist. Bullshit artist. Bullshit artist. Now, for anyone who hasn't seen The Greasy Strangler, that just made no fucking sense, but you'll get used to it.
0: Um, <laughs> and they also just clicked off. So those of you that stuck with us and are also Greasy
1: Strangler fans, hi, how you doing? Porto. Anyway, Court is also what I call a, a, a real podcaster because he has a work ethic. And in five years has put out more episodes of podcasts than I have in my entire podcasting career of double that time. So this is, yeah, you've got two sides of a coin here. So what could go wrong?
0: As of the recording we're doing right now, I have gone 214 weeks straight without missing a release. Yep. And I have also not re-released a different episode from a different place as just a placeholder, like some other podcasters that have done that. Never done that. who who have just said that they've just done a release so that they didn't miss a week. I have recorded something, edited something, and released it. Even if it is just a music show, I have done something new. So it's been 214 weeks of new content straight. And I have just recorded the 215th week. So barring my death and or major problems, (laughs) that will also be released 215 weeks straight.
1: He's also incredibly humble about it. Whereas (laughs) I, last year... (laughs) I released at least five shows in the last year and a half. So there.
0: <laughs> I don't know how humble I am about it. I just feel that this is something to brag about. And just, I wanted to point out like the caveats because a lot of people were like, Oh yeah. 215 episodes, a big deal. That's 215 straight weeks of brand new content recorded either on a Monday or a Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday at the latest and out by the following Sunday. Like it's yeah. within one week within usually seven days. I'm recording and releasing an episode for the
1: last mm. 215 sets of seven day weeks. Yeah, I, uh, it, for those of you who've never like had to record or edit a podcast, you don't quite know what the editing involves. Right? Some people just fucking half-ass it. They, they have a conversation on Skype, warts it all, they don't do anything to the levels and they just chuck it out as a show and go, there you go. Um, the likes of myself and Court, we are we are audio tarts. And... <laughs> it's got to be right it's got to sound good and we take the time to edit it we put eqs compressors whatever on our audio files that's what should be happening um and i i can empathize because a while back i did a rather ridiculous internet radio show called the fantastic adventures of boz and casey this is firebrand rocks and you are listening to the fantastic adventures of boz and casey You think she's a Oh, she turned me into a newt! A newt. You know nothing, John Snow. And we did 38 straight weeks the same. And I had to produce a two-hour radio show every single week. I had three days to produce it because of the turnaround, from recording to getting the file uploaded, which included putting the music in. Uh, getting the adverts and the time syncs for the hour and half hour markers to line up and that's I mean it's hard to do live and that's the skill of being a radio person but if you are actually pre-record it's, it's almost as difficult because you've got to make those timings work and I'm not going to do that thing where I'm halfway through talking or halfway through a song and then I play a half on the hour stinger and, and, and just mess it up so I just sit there obsessing about it. It's fucking hard work so you have my utmost respect for that work ethic, sir, because it's not fucking easy. Yeah. And, and, na- and now so- somehow you found the time to do this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, too. Like, I can guess as much as possible where it's like, if I got the free time, especially with what you're asking me to do, where you're like, just come on and bullshit. I mean, I can do that. I mean, try and stop me from doing that. Like, that's like <laughs> most of the content of my show is me trying to rein in this kind of talk anyway. So it was something that I was like, yes, let's do this. You know, that's absolutely not a problem. But uh, the hardest part is trying to stay on task. And when you're trying to do like a specific movie review and you're trying to get it in in a certain amount of time, but you're mm. constantly waylaid by your own jackassery, it's really
1: difficult to do. <laughs> so this is cathartic for you. So yeah, we realized I've guessed it on court show. He's guessed it on my show. And we found that we if we had the time, we, we often quite squeeze for time. But when we did have the time, we would record the show and then talk for normally as long again off air. And they're like, well, this this kind of shit we could just put out there because people have probably listened to it um, and hence the bromance at the beginning of the title of this show because it sort of blossomed because we found we had so much common ground
0: uh, um, yeah I blame Duncan actually for um, the danger to both of our marriages yes
1: <laughs> yeah Duncan <laughs> McLeish from the podcast under the stairs you have a lot to answer for sir
0: <laughs> look what you've created but yeah both of our wives want to know
1: what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Boz. Uh, I used to do a show called Here Goes Nothing way back in the day. I then started doing a show called The Little Pod of Horrors, which went away, came back, went away, came back and has just come back and is now on Legion uh, Podcasts, the the home of Cinema PsyOps. One of us! One of us! (laughs) We are many. Uh, Yes, we are. We are network bedfellows i like that um so (laughs) well you could have just stopped at bedfellows
0: but i mean if you want to modify it with network to make it seem less you know odd then that's fine
1: (laughs) and we we did sort of try and like we wanted to podcast together other than guest spots so uh and so did our good buddy the witch but he's down in australia and we really tried to make obsessive cinema discourse work uh but the time difference was just fucking like Syncing it up and getting something done, it was just so difficult.
0: Yeah, we had a very um, small window of super late Friday for you, yeah. right after work on Friday for me, butt-ass early in the morning for which, and it just it just wasn't <laughs> working out. And the time yeah. difference between you and I works out, and the time difference between you and which can work out, but yeah. trying to sync up the three of us just, it wasn't working, and mm. I think we all lost the motivation to do it.
1: I think Witch just got fed up again. Oh, there's another show coming out. Oh, I sound miserable as fuck again because I was only halfway through my coffee when I had to try and sound like innovative and interesting, interested and funny and whatever. I I think he did an amazing job because trust me, if it was me doing the nine o'clock in the morning slot, uh, it would have just been a series of grunts and swearing. (laughs) (laughs) That would have just been it.
0: Well, I've had to do a few nine o'clock in the morning recordings and you can definitely tell the difference in my energy level. Um, yeah. I, I just got done doing a bloody pit of rod um, and no, that's not a sex act. That's actually a, a, a podcast um, <laughs> okay. where we talked about the coffin Joe movies and I just finished the last one. The last recording I did with him was like eight something or nine something in the morning. Cause I was trying to get out to see the director's cut of midsummer and I wanted to make sure Ooh. that I got there in time. So I needed to give him ample time to record. So I was adjusting back from the time that I was expecting to go see that and it just ended up that I had to get up on a Saturday morning at the butt crack of dawn so I totally understand that's the fucking worst you you can't be witty you can't be funny half the mm. time you're barely keeping your eyes open
1: well actually well, I, I got to do my favourite film ever on your podcast and uh, it was so I was in a hotel room um i didn't want people banging on the door telling me off for being noisy i'd hemmed myself into the corner with duvets and pillows to try and deaden the sound as much as possible and it was really fucking late after a long day um and and yet my you could hear the energy on me on that show was just not representative of how much i loved that movie um so yeah sometimes the scheduling can just kick you in the pants so (laughs) yeah it's a real pain yeah but we're not to bitch about podcasting because we enjoy it and that's why we're doing this uh so (laughs) um basically we called it bullshit ice because we just thought let let's when we can get on mic and just shoot the shit uh, and just talk about the things we love and hopefully you guys enjoy coming along for the ride um that that's that's the idea really
0: well and the bromance thing i think is pretty self-explanatory for anyone who actually knows how long we've been getting along or ever since uh what was that the the We did The Mist, where we talked about that together on teapots like, ages ago,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because that that was it, because I was fairly new to Legion at the time. Um, So I'd I'd heard promos and stuff. I hadn't got the time to listen to stuff. And then we were put on the roster together. I was like, well, I'll never go on a show until I've checked someone out and got to know them virtually through their podcast. And I started listening to Cinema PsyOps that week, and I haven't stopped. (laughs) (laughs) So... Our lunacy can be addictive. I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it's it's a must listen every week for me. So uh, yeah, so we we share the horror thing, which is I suppose where it all started. Uh, we're going to try and not bring too much horror to this show because this isn't a horror show. But given our love for the genre, it's going to come up.
0: Well, um, I in mean, fact, I'm
1: just going to say that the director's cut of Midsummer. I no one's told me about that. Um, oh wow! Um, was there much
0: more? Uh, Yes. Um, What you would expect from normal director's cuts is not necessarily what you get in this film. What it does is it flushes out the characters so much more, and it has a lot more backstory about the relationships, and it actually helps character motivations make a little bit more sense. You do get an additional ritual where um, someone is supposed to be sacrificed by being thrown into a lake, which gives you an idea of the fates of one of the other characters, um, and it's like a ah. simulated ritual thing where they, you know, they say that the boy's willingness to sacrifice himself is more than enough. You know, that... that
1: oh, a bit like Abraham bullshit, yeah.
0: Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, and so, like, they, um, they they, bring this supposed boy back. And, I mean, it's no shock to anyone that people are getting murdered with Midsummer, right? Like, that's not a huge spoiler, right? Like, that, no. that there are sacrifices being made. I mean, it's like the wicker man left and right is what people are accusing it of, but it's so much more mm. than just that. Um So, like, you actually see the outfit that this person that was supposed to be sacrificed on one of the uh, other people whenever their body turns up. So, like, you Mm. you know what her ultimate fate was. Um, Uh, Okay, cool. um, I'm maybe saying her was probably a bad idea. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm trying not to get too spoilery for people about that. But um, I will say this, that even though the director's cut is about a half hour longer, it's a much more satisfying film. And I never feel the length of that film at all. I'm engrossed mm. by everything having to do with it, and uh, the main character, Danny, uh, that actress. Whenever she starts doing her panic attacks, and the way that they film it in the mm. movie is what it feels like to actually have a bout of an anxiety attack or a panic attack like that. Like I, right. it actually was like almost triggering for me. It was so exactly what it felt like for me whenever I start going into a state like that. So mm. I totally understood what the film was going for and I like was totally just on her side all the time for everything and everything that happens to her and how everybody was trying to, I don't know, like the thing where like everybody's like talking behind her back and all that, that's, that's kind of accented even more. And that, that feeling of like that awkwardness in the room, whenever you're there, like in the movie, they made it seem like in the, the theatrical cut, it seemed more like, um, you know, they said a few things and then she came in the room and then they would just basically, like, talk around her and try and just be like, um, I'm really uncomfortable, but they're trying to be, like, walking on kid gloves. In the director's cut, there's a lot more of that, like, she's not dumb, she can sense that that's going on, whereas in the theatrical cut, you know, like, it just seems like, oh, she's just ignoring it, but, like, they have some more extended shots where, like, they're showing her face and she can totally tell that she's being gaslit by her would-be boyfriend, and then, Mm. like, everybody's treating her like shit. And so whenever someone shows genuine and legit concern, um, like, the way that she breaks down whenever uh, Pele brings up her family in one of the conversations in the apartment before they go off to do the thing that they're going to do uh, with the rituals, um, it actually feels... It has so much more emotional depth to it instead of just her just, like, losing her shit for no reason. Like, there's... It's more of a Mm. build-up and everything, and I, I think... A lot of that stuff, I understand why they trimmed it down, but it makes the ending a lot more satisfying and there's a lot more stuff to it that it gives you more like pathos to all of the characters, really. Um, Brilliant. I don't know if there's more gore or not. Um, It seems like they left that in specifically because it was so sort of like scattershot in the film whenever you would get some of that more gross death stuff that was happening that I don't think they needed to trim any of that down. Now, granted, there are some more shots where they come back to that kind of stuff more and more, where right. it's almost like um, flashbacks that Danny is having and she's trying to process everything. Mm. Um, but, yeah, mostly it's just dealing with the interpersonal stuff a lot more with that that extended cut. Now, having said that, I will not watch the regular theatrical version and uh, again, and I'm waiting for some way of being able to get a hold of the director's cut because that's the only version I'm going to watch again.
1: Well, I, I am convinced either this week or last week I saw, hopefully it wasn't a hoax, but there's going to be a Blu-ray release of the director's cut. I don't know if I imagined that. Maybe I dreamt it, but I'm pretty sure I saw that no. somewhere. So I'm I'm hoping Yeah, I'm there right. is
0: supposed to be a UK Blu-ray. I forget who it is that's going to be releasing it, but it was announced and it's been all over the interwebs. And... uh if, okay
1: i did see it then <laughs> yeah
0: uh if that's if that's the case um and it's i guess it's on amazon and it's said that it's the director's cut but the statistics being amazon they're always fucked up as to you know like the mm-hmm. stats or the detailed info they may have just copy pasted the that stuff from the regular Blu- blu-ray in there or whatever it's going to be but um twenty-four would be complete they're the ones who released that right A twenty-four. does that sound right Mm, yeah. I think so. Um well the studio that released this would be completely stupid to make the director's cut an Apple TV exclusive only for an extended period yeah. of time. I understand, like, let's say whenever digital the digital release is coming out, fine. But if you release a Blu-ray of just a theatrical cut, you are shooting yourself in the foot. Because there are hardcore collectors yeah. like myself that want that physical media disc so that we can hold on to it and clutch it in the night and declare our love for it and call it our precious. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah. this man like i i i sort of try and in my head imagine what your collection of films looks like because you seem to have fucking everything just, <laughs> yeah um you must have a whole room of your house dedicated uh to
0: actually it. the whole bottom floor of my house is sort of like my my domain like we have a little basement area it's omaha um tornadoes are a thing and it's a regular occurrence that happens around us now while we're on the very edge of like the worst of tornado alley it still can happen so you want you want a basement Mm -hmm. and um barring flooding the best place to keep your stuff for safety's sake is in the basement so that's where all my stuff is um i have a theater uh a theatrical like screening room area in my basement and um Mm -hmm. right now it's just an older projector the things like 12 or 13 years old i'm just waiting for the bulb to die as an excuse to buy a new one i'm saving up for it right now um (laughs) But I hmm. bought this one, like, right before high-definition became a thing, like, before it, like, really broke, like, 12 to 13 years ago. Um, I bought this projector, what? and it handled 1080i when 1080p wasn't even a thing yet, and that's how old oh, wow. it is. Okay. But I built a theater room around that. I have uh, surround sound and all of that, and basically couches. It's enough to seat about, I'd say, about eight people in the couch area relatively comfortably, and then... um we have sort of like what what I call a balcony. There's just a table behind this little sectional sofa that people can sit at and watch the movies from the screen. And um, okay. I call it the projector room of the beast because it is actually 6.66 feet across. Nice. I did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> <Metal>.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, the rest of the basement area is just sort of open. And besides a little play area for our cats, um, there's um, shelving units of... Blu-rays and DVDs and all of that other stuff, and basically I buy it once, then I buy it again in the next new format, and now I'm <laughs> now I'm working my way up to univ- like UHD disc, I guess is the way to refer to it. They call it 4K Blu-ray, but UHD huh. has been 4K UHD disc is like the new accepted term. So like I have like 17 copies of the original Suspiria, <laughs> practically <laughs> not quite that bad, but bad yeah. enough. But there are some movies where I have like VHS, laserdisc, Blu-ray. Uh, or DVD, Blu-ray, and then 4K Blu-ray if they have. There are some movies that are like that. that... And I'm starting to sell off some of my older stuff, so I'm parting away with some of my 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 stuff. But I want it to be sold to somebody that's going to take care of it because I have some... I do. I collect. It's, it's something I do. It's part of my OCD. I need to collect yeah. things. So I get box sets and everything, and then if I get like a... Like I just bought the Arrow UK uh, Mario Bava box set on Blu-ray, and now that I have that... The DVD box sets that I have that are the same movies, I will probably sell to another collector who is less obsessed about 100% quality and more of just having a copy. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But, yes, uh, I, I want to do um, the basement area of my house that's open and I haven't really done a lot with where all of these shelvings are. I actually want to recreate a video store. I want to actually build, like, a uh, a mock counter that would also double as a bar. Nice. And- and like put like a shitty looking, you know, type computer monitor that you'd be able to check movies out. And I want to build built-in shelves on the walls down there to store DVDs and Blu-rays and various things like that, but like actually put them on display. And one of the things that I want to do is I actually want to build a section of like used copies of stuff that like, I you know, that I will be selling, like, you know, my collection that I don't want anymore, you know, that, <laughs> that I will actually price out, like, you know, to sell and everything. Um and I'm going to display some, I'm, I'm planning on trying to display some of my older VHS tapes, because right now they're just languishing and collecting dust and, you mm. know, well, not really collecting dust because they're in um, those uh, fresh pack sealed bins, you know, because yes. <laughs> I am that OCD. <laughs> You know, so it would be—it would just basically be something to do. And I think the reason that I can get away with doing the the video store thing in the house uh, for the basement area is if I sell it to the wife, as in the mock-up counter will double as a bar. I think I can sell it as that. Ah, get some optics you're sorted. <laughs> <laughs> right, like nice. it, like you know, the display counter area—the front of it would be like a movie store display counter. You know, I'll be able to display
1: um, some of my. Uh, I don't know if you guys had this have over... a poster on it, really. If, if you're going old school video store, they always had a poster below the counter, didn't they? Uh, sort of, yeah. Um,
0: depends upon the store. Like, some of them would have, like, a little poster thing that they would put. Um, uh, what I was thinking of doing is just having a bin of, like, old posters, too. Like, you know, where they would sell their old movie posters? <laughs> yeah. Or the free take one kind of thing. Like, I wanted to do stuff like that. Um, the basement That's windows awesome. are actually covered up by uh, these sliders that... Uh i my I designed and then my wife and I kind of built and put down there, so basically all of the windows of the basement are covered up by these things that slide in and out of the way that are just a movie poster with like a backing behind it that's the same color of the wall so oh, cool when it's closed, you don't know that that's what it is. it just looks like it's um you know raised off the wall and then a poster's mounted to it. but when I open it, oh there's a window back there that lets in daylight
1: nice so uh I don't do that too often
0: yeah all you <laughs> vampires out there that want a place to hang out my place we're good
1: awesome <laughs> <laughs> Think with you mentioned laserdisc i i only know one other person who had a laserdisc player and collected laserdisc and he just <laughs> happened to be the, the the infamous mark the bastard who who is famous <laughs> for getting me into the sickest euro import banned horror movies was laserdisc just the domain of the obsessive horror collector do you think
0: um Did, well, I would say that it was the domain of the obsessive movie collector because at the time that Laserdisc came out, um, there's some dueling formats. And I don't know how much you want me to get into this, but there was like there was like. Vi- <laughs> I don't know. Depends how many listeners you want after the end of this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll make it as quick as possible. So there was like video disc, which was basically like the equivalent of a record. But instead of um, having just audio waveforms etched into it, it would have sort of like a movie like a like a sync that you would get like through the cable signal or like an antenna signal of what your your TV would have it was embedded into the video disc, um, that died a very quick and painful death. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, that did not last very long. They were very cost prohibitive, um, and then there was something else that was similar to video disc that I can't remember the name of it. But laser disc was basically the same technology as a CD. They just basically expanded it out and made it, was it to on dinner plates. <laughs> right. So it could play video. <laughs> And you would get basically like twenty minutes to a half hour per side. So if your movie was yeah. like, if your movie was like two hours, it's like three discs on like four sides.
1: And you had to turn it over halfway if your player couldn't read both sides. Yeah. Right.
0: Now the players actually worked around that, where some of the players would actually have like a mirror thing to where it would just automatically switch over, and it would be less of a, less of a jump. Now, hmm. I think the reason that laser discs ended up becoming more of a horror fanatics thing is because they didn't have. For the most part laser discs didn't really have like a region locking like they started doing with dvd mm. so you could import a laser disc from the netherlands or uh, japan or whatever and you could be able to play it on your laser disc at your home no problem it would just play because it was the same technology it was the same thing with like a cd cds were yeah. never region locked so that's that's how it worked and i think a lot of us particularly like say mark the bastard in the uk would probably be looking for laser discs because that was a way to circumvent the the video nasty stuff that you guys were suffering from and mm. and also they were significantly easier to hide because you could just toss your laser discs among your records and no yeah. one w- no one would be any of the wiser because they were the exact same size and shape
1: now, now I don't think anybody was raiding houses looking for dodgy horror, but like they did raid the film collectors fairs that we used to go to, and it was always uh, if you've got a good quality banned film. It was normally somebody had ripped from Laserdisc to VHS, and you'd go to the guys who had lots of horror films and go, "Have you got anything? Uh, got anything else?" <laughs> and they would just pull this box out from under the table, right? Right. And you'd just you just say through. you
0: got anything else, and you point down as if under under the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but they, they were brazen about it actually, um and I was actually shocked at how yeah you know, they they would just pick up the box and dump it on top of the table and let you leave through it there, and then. We heard about a year, year and a half later after the last one we went to um, that the police raided these these fairs and basically confiscated all these illegal films. Um, but that's how I saw A Clockwork Orange, The Exorcist, which were still banned at that time in this country. you know. And now you could pick them up in the kiddies section. <laughs> so, Well, and
0: um, over here, collectors that weren't able to get certain films just because they were never released in America, like some of Dario Argento's stuff. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. Delamorte Delamore was never really released in its full version over here in the United States. Um, It was, like, chopped up and released as, like, Cemetery Man. Um, It has subsequently been released on DVD under the title of Cemetery Man, but completely uncut. Um, But that movie, whenever I got a hold of it, I bought a bootleg of it that was recorded from a Japanese Laserdisc that actually had (laughs) Japanese subtitles playing as it was going, but the oh, picture that was quite common. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the picture was pristine and I fucking loved it and I was totally fine with that. And it was mm. a it was a first generation dupe because they were recorded directly from the laserdisc, and they just basically had like this looping thing where they would just play it on a loop and then just keep recording it to various tapes and then switch it over. You know, that's that's just how they did it. Um I mm. know my copy of Delamorte Delamore was like that. Um I think my first VHS of uh Killer Clowns from Outer Space was from a Laser Disc. So it was basically one of those things where they could keep playing it back and it would be the same quality every time and it would only degenerate with the recording to the VHS tape. So that's one of the things that bootleggers latched onto. And I think that is why Laserdisc also became super big in the horror community because some ways that was the only way to get it is you would import it or you would buy a boot from somebody that imported it. Um, That's how I saw Cat in the Brain the first time too. That was also a Laserdisc uh, import, I think, from Japan. With subtitles as well. Still right. you know, some of the guys figured out a way to shut off the subtitle channel and you were like you were good. You were in heaven, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, they never bothered me. I thought it gave it authenticity.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's something about watching a bootleg with Japanese subtitles that makes it that much more effective. Um, my first copy of Eraserhead was
1: also a Japanese Laserdisc bootleg now that I think of it. <laughs> right. I actually can't remember what the films we watched on Laserdisc were. Um like the actual ones he had uh it's it's weird it's all sort of a blur now <clears throat> i do remember that there's there's one film he showed me that i have never seen since i have no idea what it's called and no one's ever been able to tell me what it is but with your encyclopedic knowledge i bet you know it uh we could give it a shot that would be a fun segment of
0: does court know what the fuck this is <laughs>
1: yeah. Here we go. If, if only I had more examples to do more weeks. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, mm-hmm, we might be on to something there. No, So w- all I remember about this is there's a guy who lives in a house fairly remote and it's a, his girlfriend or his wife and she dies. I can't remember how she dies. He can't bear to be without her. So he takes her home <clears throat> and there's a fairly graphic um, embalming scene, basically, where he disembowels her, clears everything out stuffs her fills her up zips her up whatever and then basically keeps her in a cupboard and i don't remember much more than that other than the you know the that's, post-mortem scene was quite graphic
0: that sounds an awful lot like jody amato's uh i think it's beyond the darkness um because a lot of that is based on a guy that keeps a specific woman who died and her corpse and just keeps coming back to like snuggling with it and hides it um that's the only thing i can think of right off the top um did it have, uh, do you remember if it was like a redneck-y kind of guy? Or was it just more like a waifish, just weird, you know, not super masculine type of guy?
1: I don't remember the guy. I, my memory tells me it was probably Italian.
0: Yeah, that would be Joe D'Amato's so... Beyond the Darkness, probably more than likely. Um, I do not, I, maybe I do own a copy of it. If I do, um, I will send it to you and awesome. and you can uh confer back on our next episode holy fuck that was it what the fuck did i watch you know that kind of yeah. thing
1: yay <laughs> so after saying we weren't going to talk about horror there's fucking 20 minutes of horror for you ladies and gentlemen um well come on we <laughs> talked about various
0: formats of horror for goodness sakes you know yes that's true this yes. is just general geekery that
1: yeah and you'd need about to cut all that shit out of your other podcasts so that's you know it's good we get to leave it alone
0: <laughs> that's why i started doing outtakes again because i'm like i'm not just leaving this in the episode and i'm also
1: not dropping it <laughs> mm. ah, we love the outtakes uh so i mean other sort of we clearly share some taste in music uh especially yeah again going back to your show this week of some growling death metal lyrics and lots of Slayer. So um, I was like, yes.
0: Well, I had to do the growling whenever we were talking about malicious castration, which is a charge that you can be levied on for doing such an act of castrating someone
1: maliciously. <laughs> now, I was impressed with the vocals. So you you used to sing in a death band or would say a hardcore band, was it? Um.
0: Okay, so I was in a band for in like high school that I did death metal lyrics and death metal growling, but it was more like six feet under where it was like middle paced because we couldn't play any faster.
1: <laughs> right, again okay, with you.
0: Um, but, you know, it was mostly I did a lot of growling and stuff like that. And then um, I stopped with the growling when I actually learned a little bit more about how to sing, um, hmm. uh, basically upon the urging of my parents because they're like, you can actually sing. Why are you doing this? <laughs> you know, they're like, you can, you can still sound like, you know, is – Metal as you want and sing. I mean, look at Ozzy is what my dad's excuse was. So, right. you know, I was I was like, okay, we'll we'll give that a shot. And I learned how to sing, but I also learned how to do the death metal growl without destroying my voice by practicing and mimicking. And I was like, oh, it's all breath control and making it sound more like you you growl than you can. And then mm. um, when I went off to college, um, I formed a, a well, I I ended up kind of falling into forming a band with uh, one of my classmates in electronics, and uh, that band was more like a hardcore uh sort of hardcore punk sort of um like uh like the crossover style stuff very heavily influenced by neurosis i don't know if you've heard of them they've been around for like ever
1: yeah I, i've heard bits yeah
0: yeah <clears throat> um so it was pretty influenced by neurosis so there was some growling involved in that and then it was also it had a little bit of fear factory you know sprinkled in there and then um about the time that slipknot broke we got kind of influenced by some of the stuff that slipknot was doing not so much mm. with like the Rap metal mix, but just sort of like the serious, hardcore, crazy death metal lyrics, but like sort of growly, shouty singing back and forth, you know, and then like actual Mm. like operatic singing mixed in, you know, that kind of stuff. So I was jumping back and forth with that kind of stuff. And I mean, that band did okay. We were able to kind of, I was able to kind of pay my rent, you know, a little bit every
1: now and then. Did you record any?
0: Uh, Yeah, we did record some stuff, but nothing, um, nothing too... Nothing too worthwhile. A lot of the stuff is just, like, straight out of the board and, uh, you know, into a stereo cassette tape recording. I don't know where any okay. of that shit is. But, yeah, Damn. I actually, I I got a Old lot snippets. of snippets. I got a lot of stuff. I just have to find it and then convert it from a cassette tape into, like, a somewhat listenable audio format. Uh, because I've been in tons of bands. I actually started recording um, albums and things like that in, like, 10th grade. I recorded a. F- oh wow! I recorded a full album over the summer of ninth grade and into tenth grade, and released it by the middle of tenth grade. Um, the band was shit, but um, you know what? What were other people doing in tenth grade? I recorded an entire album's worth of songs that we wrote. Yeah, there was like Fuck no yeah. covers at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure, it sucked, but you know, it's no worse than like some of Gigi Allen's stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the music might have sucked, but I bet the audio was pristine ah that was before i learned what i was doing Ah! (laughs) hey it's all it's all a journey yeah i mean you know if you come to my sort of audio prowess and where i learned about getting sounds to be a bit better than they are normally you know that was that was running the church board at an evangelical church on a sunday morning for most of my early teenage years so if you want a guy who can go up and mix two vocalists and four acoustic guitar players playing the same chords at the same time and make them sound slightly distinct from one another. I'm your guy.
0: <laughs> Ow. Yeah. Because see- that's
1: what they did, isn't it? Like, why there need to be three guitarists? Why are you all playing the same? You're not even harmonizing. You're all playing the same chord progression with the same timing. One of you sit down. <laughs> why can't one of you play a bass? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Or
0: perhaps a baritone um, guitar and move to the root note or something.
1: Yeah, or you know, pick apart each and pause for a second. Uh, yeah, it's it's laughable. <laughs> I, I once went to a conference where they the musicians all went off to learn one thing, and then all the PA guys went off to another room, and then they brought in some musicians and they went, "How many people Sunday mornings like this?" And they all played the same thing once. I went, yeah, yeah, that's that's it. They no, this is what it should be like, and they all played different parts. And we went, "Oh." <laughs> Like the little green aliens from Toy Story. See, I was such a
0: fucking anarchist, even though I was dragged to church every goddamn Sunday, I wasn't allowed to do anything involved with the church because they were (laughs) assured that I would do something horrible. (laughs) Every Sunday school teacher I've ever had hated me. Aww. Because I questioned everything, and I made their life a living hell. And they're like, look, I'm volunteering, can't you just push the I Believe button? And I'm like, have you met me?
1: Have you seen what's tattooed on my forehead?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that was way before I was even going to have any hope of getting tattooed. I wasn't even allowed to shave my head back then, even though I was losing my hair. Oh, really? Yeah, my parents are pricks. <laughs> Love oh. you now, mom and dad. Didn't not so much then, maybe. <laughs>
1: it was weird to me because i i was never sort of forbidden from anything i was just encouraged strongly by that environment to do certain things and not do others but i do remember in my late teenage years going to like a youth group thing and i i was pro tattooing and i had a design i was gonna have it done um weirdly at 42 years old i still do not have a blot of ink anywhere on my body (laughs) which considering like, I was tattoo and piercing culture from the age of probably 14 or 15. The people I hung out with had tattoos and piercings. I hung out with bikers and metalheads and horror fans who were pretty much the only people who did that to themselves back then because it wasn't as trendy as it is now and everybody's got a tattoo. Um, and I'm actually at the point now, I'm like, I'm kind of unusual because I haven't got any ink. Because I barely know anybody now who is, you know a blank canvas i suppose so i'm like i don't know i just if i feel like i missed the boat a little bit am am i gonna get any done but we because i was very much in the mindset of i was gonna go that route and the church is quite resistant to it they they set up this debate and i said okay yeah i'm gonna debate pro tattooing and you can try and use the bible to stop me i won that debate hands down and it's not difficult because it's the whole well you can't eat prawns i win well (laughs) The idea—yeah, the idea about um, biblical—the
0: use of a book that is a bronzed age guide written by xenophobic, homophobic, racist, hateful people under the guise of this is a command from God, uh, it's very easy to use that book against someone who's trying to prove a point, and there's no point in debating that type of book because, first of all, you have to believe that it's the 100% Word of God, and Mm. if you do— Debating that book then becomes impossible because no one is going to be open to that because they 100% believe that this is the Word of God and how dare you question it. And so when people start salad barring it and taking you know their various interpretations, like for instance, they will say you can't mark your skin because that was in Leviticus or you shouldn't man shouldn't yeah. lie with man because that was in Leviticus. you then point out, well, you have a blended shirt on and therefore you should be put to death according to like two chapters out down from yeah. what you just quoted me. Or you're not allowed to eat shellfish, take the fucking prawn out of your mouth because that was mm-hmm. three chapters up from what you just quoted me. Like, they don't yeah. want to hear it. Like, they want to hear that the stuff that they're okay with that justifies their own preconceived notions is good and anything mm. anything that doesn't is automatically, well, you're obviously misinterpreting that, that scripture. No, it clearly says blended fabrics, which polycotton, which you are currently wearing with that t-shirt, is a blended
1: fabric and you should be put to death. So... Yeah. We're gonna do this or what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I I always find the homophobia side of it is very interesting because um you've got the old books, you know, Old Testament is overwritten in part, I guess, by the covenant of the New Testament, and it's like Jesus never said shit about it.
0: <clears throat> well, and he also and I, I, he I, also it was still going on. <laughs> he also hung out with prostitutes and like all of the people that were supposed to be like put to death in the other book. He was like, no, nah, they're, they're cool, man. You know, Yeah. they're going to be fine. Yeah. Come on, hang out with me and my dad. You know, apparently that's how that's supposed to work. But there's also mm. debate upon whether or not the actual Jesus actually existed or if he was an amalgamation of a bunch of different people, because all of the writings of various prophets were also written by people like centuries later under the guise yeah. of being the Apostle Paul. And then you can't really go with all of these various accounts like you can't like that book has been so rewritten and edited and changed again and then like well we won't even get into Constantine <laughs> no, <laughs> on how, yeah, how just... much he got a quorum of people together to decide what was biblical canon and what wasn't but we should get off this subject because man that's <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. although um I mean I've never bothered with the Dan Brown series I don't know I guess this is sort of along the same lines but uh of all the heists that people might have wanted to plan through history the one I want to happen the most is I just want the Vatican to be like rinsed <laughs> and oh. just everything they're sitting on to just be released on the internet as PDFs. Yeah there's the world to see. There is
0: so much history and text and artwork. And yes, they may be keeping it in vaults and protecting it, but at the same you know, like from destruction and all of that. But at the same time they're also keeping it from being out there for all of us to see and kind of know what's going on. That stuff mm. exists and they won't let anyone near it because it proves them wrong. That's why it's there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And if you've seen Red Dwarf, you know for a fact that page one of the Bible is hidden in their most secure vault. (laughs) And if you haven't seen Red Dwarf, you're probably listening to the wrong show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that was my teenage years too. For those of you who don't know, page one is uh, all events featured in this book are purely fictional. Any resemblance to characters, either living or dead, is purely coincidental. (laughs) God, what a brilliant show. <laughs> yeah. We're getting TV adverts now of of them on Starbug one on the planet. Uh, I think it's an RAC advert, a breakdown company, and they call them in to get their Starbug started again. They're all quite a bit older. But I mean, they pull it off. It is fairly entertaining to be like, "Whoa, someone ran out of money." <laughs> now, have you seen the they had a, like a resurgence
0: movie or two where they come back and they're dealing with things and I I remember watching that and just feeling really sad because of how old they were and like it just doesn't have some of the same magic but just being so stoked to have them all back together
1: yeah there there were two whole series they did uh, 10 and 11 i didn't finish 11 but i did watch series 10 and it wasn't bad um in fact there's a hilarious episode where they go back and bump into who they think is jesus (laughs) keep it on
0: topic (laughs) (laughs) interesting Um, now that was released over here as like full-fledged like movies where they just cut them all together because the way that that the way that the series was released um they all bled in together story to story which was completely different than anything that they'd done before so
1: they just put it together as a movie over here is is that the one that's very blade runner yeah because yeah that that was like a special so that was like a proof of concept because that went down fairly well holy shit there's two seasons i haven't even seen yet Then is what you're telling me yeah like 10 episode 2 10 episode seasons, or 8 episode seasons if my friend anthony listens to this i he's a big podcast listener he used to do a show called the scutter cast um and he is he has met pretty much every member of cast of red dwarf and he is the authority on red dwarf so um I'll I'll check with him how many episodes there actually were. But um
0: Holy shit, if there are at least even just one series that I haven't even seen yet, I may have to retract my statement about how sad it is because that got me a whole new series from that movie. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they're doing any more, but they did two yeah, two series and then now T V adverts, which yeah. <laughs> Who knows what's coming next? Uh I mean the the gold of the originals is that but you're never gonna recreate shit like uh you know backwards and the polymorph those episodes are just like they're just legendary i, I love them so much the backwards I mean, we planet that is shit so yeah. much the backwards planet is amazing <laughs> yeah On the- i i still say nod 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 when i'm going to london i mean it's just a thing
0: <laughs> you know all the time whenever someone tells me ask me what flavor like if i order a milkshake and they ask me what flavor i want i always say beer and then i have to amend it <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh i just oh i I used to use the term you've got all the charm and social grace of Alsatian after a head swap operation <laughs> i mean it, it's still up there it's all still up there
0: yeah oh god i love that show so much yeah
1: <laughs> it always i always love it when i mean uh teemo who's co-host on little pot of horrors um the reason we became such fast friends so quickly is when we met it's like here's this guy from a country i know nothing about uh which the entire country has the same population of just london <laughs> it's they have the, they have the population of london spread across their entire country and that that's that's fairly sparse so when he comes out and he loves stuff like the fast show and red dwarf and like all the shit i grew up as a teenager watching and he loves it and finds it hilarious which got exactly the same sense of humor because we've just absorbed the same media um <laughs> it's it's fascinating
0: it's amazing how entertainment can actually unite like that there was a there was a thing that henry rollins did about how to actually create world peace or at least how to get boring sides of uh you know like two different sides of a faction like uh one of the things he was saying was like maybe like israel and palestine or or one of those types of things where like people couldn't get along where his idea mm-hmm. was that the ramones could heal the world what you do is you drop like the first two records you, you split them up where like one record goes to one side the one, one record goes to the other and then you just do another thing where you do like a a massive drop where you release like another album on one side and another album on the other and then, like, you get the folks hooked on the Ramones, you get them into that type of music, and then what you do is you have them kind of meet, and then realize that they both love this thing that is the Ramones, and they're just like, holy shit, there's another album I didn't know about, and they start swapping <laughs> records and talking <laughs> nice, about yeah, it, yeah. you know? And then, like, you use that as a way to, like, kind of bring them together over a mutual love of the Ramones. And I, I'm fucking up his theory, because obviously he can explain it so much more eloquently and beautifully and... He's obviously, oh, yeah, he's obviously oh. thought it out way better than what I can describe, right?
1: Yeah. But, and, and he's another common ground thing for us, isn't he? Yeah. But like that, I, I went and saw him live a couple of years ago in London. Yeah. Doing his spoken word thing. So, yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, and that, that particular diatribe or that idea that you can unite people under a common banner of their love of a certain type of entertainment and that the idea that the Ramones could actually broker a piece was so astoundingly beautiful to me that it just totally made sense and like, mm. I just, I haven't met anyone who actively hates the Ramones. I've only ever met people that are like, it's just not my thing. But like, mm. you, you play it enough, it gets stuck in your head and it just becomes a part of you.
1: <laughs> yeah, you see, I, I never went there. But like you say, I've, I've heard it many a time and it is just completely inoffensive. <laughs> well, that's um, only if, if you don't pay close
0: enough attention to it. Because if you listen to yeah. the lyrics very closely, all oh, they're talking about all sorts of screwed up stuff.
1: Well, that that helps us segue into something we're planning to do here with this little show. Um, <laughs> basically, after <clears throat> several hundred episodes of Cinema Sci-Ups that I've listened to, I've I've realised that the the length and breadth of course musical knowledge it far outstrips mine. I I was a metal head from thirteen years old onwards, and probably until my early twenties, really didn't listen to anything else, just different types of metal. Um, coming out of that i mean i do like a bit of like classical uh i was forced into listening to musicals because my sister went to stage school uh when she was younger and uh, we used to have to drive in and out of london we used to go in on a friday and pick her up and then back in on a sunday night to drop her back off for the next week week of school and because she was at stage school she lived eat breathe shit musicals and so all the way there we was like it was cats lay miz phantom of the opera i knew i know every lyric to every song from every musical so um <laughs> And and I was quite young at the time. I was like seven, eight, nine. So it just absorbed it all like a sponge. Uh, of course, now my favorites are stuff like Avenue Q and Book of Mormon. But <laughs> uh, but it, in terms of sort of, you know, classic rock, things like that, you know, there's stuff I know I've heard on the radio, but you put some s- totally obscure shit into your podcast at times. And I'm like, I have never heard of this. Some of it I really quite dig. So I thought, how about we have a section... Uh, where core each week or each episode uh introduces me to music i've probably never heard or an artist i've never heard of and uh we we see what the fuck i think about now i was trying to think of a title for this and i thought well you know maybe the word musophile (laughs) well if i'm exposing things to you
0: and it's more than likely not going to be decent we should just call it indecent exposure
1: yeah okay but i mean that's that that is better because um, <laughs> have you have you ever come across the word musophile? No, I don't even know if that's a word. Do, do do you have a Google window to hand?
0: Do I have to? I feel like this is going to be nasty and get me on some kind of a watch just, list. Just just tap it in there. M U S O
1: P H I L E.
0: M U S O P H I L E.
1: Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I don't know. This could be your proclivity. It could be something that you do enjoy. Uh, I, I, I don't know you all that well. <laughs> Someone
0: or those who have a love or or fondness for mice?
1: <laughs> apparently so. So I thought I'd made up a word, but apparently it's already a word.
0: Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm not... Do a, you like mice? A, I'm, not a, I'm not opposed to mice, but I don't know if I like mice enough to uh, be known as someone who has a love for mice, so much so that I would adopt that
1: word. Okay, so yeah, let's go with indecent exposure. (laughs) It probably makes a lot more sense.
0: Yeah, that fits our sense of humor anyway. It does. (laughs) So what have you got for me, sir? Okay, Um, you're a
1: fan of the Misfits, I would assume. You know the Misfits already? I know of the Misfits, yes. Okay. Whether I'm a fan or not, Probably not, because I've not... I, it's one of those, like, I hear stuff, I think that's really good, I should look that up and then don't. I play them relatively frequently on my show. Um, mm.
0: Now, there is a band from Japan that is actually what is known as a visual K-type music. Now, I might be getting that wrong, and I might be mispronouncing it, but basically they're more based on theatrical-type things, and they usually go overboard and do, like, as much visual styling to their performances and their videos and all of that kind of stuff. And it usually is, like... um sort of like almost like a cross-dressing kind of thing, very David Bowie-type influence thing. Okay. Now, there's a specific type of Visual K band in Japan uh, by the name of Balzac, B-A-L-Z-A-C, that was nice. very heavily influenced by the Misfits, so much so that they even kind of stole their skull, uh, the Misfits' skull, and, like, appropriated it. And around the time that Jerry only was doing his thing... um, Post firing Michael Graves from the second iteration of the Misfits, Balzac kind of worked together with them, and they did like a dual um, split single for a song called "The Earth Caught Fire." Because okay. they are very heavily influenced by the Misfits, so f- so much so that they basically sound like they're doing a Misfits cover, only uh, with a Japanese accent to it. So, um, <laughs> right now, this was on the Balzac album. Entitled Beyond the Darkness, but it also got released here in the States as a split seven inch, I believe, uh, for The Day the Earth Caught Fire. So that's what I'm going to play for you now. And for everyone that may not have heard this band because they're fucking badass and they went beyond being just like a a Misfits type uh, emulation band. But that's kind of where they got their start back in like 2000, like the early, like 2001, 2002, 2003, somewhere around there. Okie dokie. The reason for that is when Eric Cartman sings, right? Um, It's actually um, the reason that it sounds like that, though. The reason it sounds like Eric Cartman singing, which is really funny, is whenever they are actually doing their offensive Japanese accent, they nail it perfectly because that's exactly how this guy sounds when he sings. Um, (laughs) Some of his other stuff isn't quite as operatic, but they're trying to emulate the misfits on the day the earth caught fire so much so that they're trying to hit that style. You know, and they, they do Oh, kind I can of, hear
1: that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, it's just a really interesting band. Now, the thing that's funny about Balzac is they actually start doing um, like really leaning into like sort of their visual case stuff and they start releasing like other types of uh, music that's still very similar. Uh, one of the things that the guy, the main guy for their visual look is wearing like a skeleton onesie like type uh, outfit where it just zips up the front and it's got a skeleton painted on it but it's like really loose fitting and then he has like a <laughs> paper bag kind of thing he puts on his head that's covered in blood. And that's oh, how nice. he performs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. Now this is from the uh, the album Deep Blue colon Chaos from Darkism. I guess that's a direct translation. I didn't pay for this album. I just got it because it was the only way I could get it. <laughs> We're going to do their cover of Ziggy Stardust from that album. I shit you not. All right. You ready? Okay. Okay, now you have to keep in mind, this is a man singing English, and it's not his first language.
1: I just decided like someone taking the piss. It's <laughs> I can't get past it.
0: <laughs> no, um, I, I totally get that. Now, uh, the reason that I'm so up on this band is back in like 2001, 2000, no, 2002, it was shortly after I moved to Omaha. There was um, a tour that went through that was Misfits was the headliners. I think it was called Fiend Fest, and Balzac came over to America to be on that tour. And it was the first time I'd ever seen them or heard of them or anything like that. I saw them perform that day on the show. Now, I was totally into it. And so they're walking around, um, you know, after the, after they performed and, like, other bands are on. And I'm trying to talk to the guys. And English is not their first language, so they know enough. But, you know, it's it's a little difficult, so we can't really understand. But uh, the way that we ended up communicating is um, I, I kind of, like, you know, told them I dug their band and they kind of got that. And then um, hmm. he started noticing some of the patches on my battle vest that I was wearing, and I was noticing nice. some of the patches on his coat. So we're, like, pointing <laughs> at patches, like, like super excited, like the guys in the, this band and I. And we're, like, chatting back and forth and, like, giving thumbs up and, like, you know, the, the devil horns to all these various bands. And uh, I did, like, the international sign for Do You Want to Do a Shot?, Um, you know, where you just kind of like throw it back, like you're doing a shot and they all shake their head. Yeah. And so like, I take them all to the bar and I bought like, um, I think the guitar player, the singer, and I think the drummer, I bought the three of them shots and then, and myself and, um, we did shots and then like, they bought around for me and, um, like we were just trying to pick out, like, I was like what I was trying to figure out what kind of drink they liked and they were trying to figure out what I liked and, so we
1: kinda, I love that shit.
0: Yeah, we kind of settled on, like, uh, just pointing at a bottle, and uh, they would look at it and see if they recognized it, and then, like, you know, they would make, like, a throw-up sign or, like, a thumbs-up, <laughs> and, like, that's, that's how we started doing it, and so I was doing shots with these guys, and they're so much fucking fun, they're so, like, they have so much great energy live, and it was such a blast that, like, I will always have that memory from hanging out with them at the show after, like, really digging their performance. And I, I, t- I can totally get your... That sounds like someone taking a piss and it sounds like Eric Cartman because I get it. I totally get that as well. But, like, I know what the guy looks like. I actually have done shots with him. And so, like, I... I you know, the, the accent and the voice doesn't bug me at all.
1: I'm glad I wasn't too dis- disrespectful then. <laughs> no, you're not. I was going to go, let's go fighting love. <laughs> no, you're, you're not
0: wrong. It does sound kind of like Eric Cartman, the way that he sings. But the thing about that was like I didn't hear that you know live when I heard them perform and I don't hear it I just hear the guy that I saw perform live it's just how it always is for me but there you go so that's a that's a band you might want to check out and yeah they Definitely. are they are kind of tongue-in-cheek they are just kind of having fun with it they're they're a bunch of really cool guys from what I remember and uh there you go that
1: Balzac That's <laughs> <laughs> just such a great name as well that's <laughs> totally up my street and, 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 sounding like Eric Cartman is not going to put me off because yeah i don't know if you've you've seen my 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 handle here on skype uh is that that's my twitter name as well cart bozman yeah um, which is basically cartman with boz in the middle and that's been my internet avatar for over 12 years now because <laughs> i was like i was watching south Park. we it's funny we talked about those movie collectors fairs i bought the first box set of vhs tapes of south park episodes one to ten at one of those collector fairs in ntsc because my VHS player happened to play NTSC as well. Um, And I was like, these are going to be collector's items. I bought collectible buttons toys badges and thinking yeah this is going to be so niche because like this is so disrespectful it's it's a cartoon but it's for adults and you know this will be flash in the pan and i found the thing i'm gonna collect and then it just took off like a motherfucker merch everywhere every shop areas went ah oh, fuck it and i just stopped <laughs> i but remember I, I remember when that I came out first.
0: i was in high school when that came out or mm. or junior high or something like that i can't remember exactly when but i was like Around the time frame to where I was at a friend's house. No, it was high school. So it's like towards the middle run of high school for me when it came out all those years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was like two episodes in and the bass player in my band, who I'm still friends with to this day, uh, Bill, he was like, dude, you have to check out this show. It is insane. It is so Mm -hmm. offensive. And he was telling me about the episode with Barbara Streisand and Rochambeau and all that kind of stuff. And (laughs) and he's like, and he's like, and it's got this kaiju thing. You just got to see it. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And so,
1: yeah, but he,
0: uh, he recorded it. So, you know, Mm -hmm. he had it, he had it on VHS and he brought it to my house. He's like, just check it out. It's 30 minutes. And I was an instant fan. And so I made an excuse to be at his house on the night that it aired every fucking week from there on out. Um, (laughs) And so like my entire high school run was at his house for that night regularly just to watch that show and maybe consume illicit substances and, uh, you know. Or, yeah you know I'm sure it was better than, yeah well totally um <laughs> you just get the Mark Mark episodes and stuff like that yeah right That's... and and so like i became obsessed with that and then by the time i had gotten to college i kind of fell off and didn't mm. even realize that it was still a thing and then like i guess
1: i got cable in my adulthood and i was like holy shit how long has this show been on <laughs> yeah i mean there's hundreds of episodes i haven't seen uh but when they went into more like you know current events satire stuff i did pick up a few episodes then but it's still so off the wall.
0: Yeah. But. It 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 praises itself on being the most vile and offensive thing it possibly can be that will still get aired weekly. And I respect what they do because they make the show within 1 week. Everything they do, they do all that animation, yeah. they they geared it specifically to do it in 1 week and I have to respect that production level of regardless of anything else
1: they did like a little documentary of making of one episode. It was a human Centipede episode. Um, and they show sort of behind the scenes of what it takes and how near the line they get before they've got a show sometimes. And yeah, it's a really fucking stressful environment. If the comedy generators aren't particularly firing that week. Uh, I, I, it's, it's funny now. I think if I, if I still had those VHS tapes, I'd probably treasure them. I, I probably should have kept hold of them. Cause I mean, it was so, so early adopting, um but I just everywhere I went I did Cartman impressions. So it just became when when the having a Avatar name in forums and things like that came up. I'm like, it was just a no brainer. And there is a little picture of Eric Cartman just with my face superimposed over his. Um because <laughs> I, I ident, I, I used to say I'm not fat, I'm big boned long before he did. Uh, so <laughs> it just identified with him so much, you know. Uh and my favourite clip was I am the deadly Mexican staring frog from Southern Sri Lanka. I used to do that one all the time. <laughs> so Oh uh, man.
0: Yeah, that show that show is definitely far ahead of its time and it's funny how it's just basically caught up to its time. Basically, mm. it's lasted so long that all the other stuff that it's influenced and has become touchstones of pop culture that now it just fits, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing the staying power it has. Like I'm still shocked when it's on the air. Like it's still on the air. <laughs> and I'm like, "What the fuck, man?" This is like thirty some years old.
1: <laughs> Simpsons did the same and were irrelevant for like the last two entire seasons. I don't know anybody who was still watching that, and people were largely disappointed when they did. Uh, but South Park seems to just keep keep the interest, and you know. And then of course they went off and did uh, again. I heard really early on that they'd written this musical, and somehow I got a notification the day the Book of Mormon album dropped in the UK, which was two entire years before it arrived at the West End here in London. So I knew every lyric after week one of its release and nobody in this country had fucking heard of the Book of Mormon musical. Nobody. (laughs) Uh, It was such an under the radar thing and I put it on in my van and I drove to work that morning. I listened to the first four tracks Hasadiga Ibowai came on. I I shit you not, I nearly crashed my van. I could not see for tears. I was laughing so hard. (laughs) Because of course, I've got to tie into this because a large proportion of my family is Mormon. Oh, wow. (laughs) I, I know a lot of people don't find it that funny, perhaps, especially not just listening to the music because they don't have the experience. They don't know about the religion. But of course, I had to know about it growing up because I was on the opposite side of the religious fences. So, you know, so to speak. And, you know, the certain members had tried to influence other family members of mine to join their ranks. And, you know, so I was, I was quite aware of a lot of it. And the proselytizing
0: debates during Christmas alone would be ridiculous.
1: (laughs) It's just, yeah. uh, And the jokes they make in that and and some of the more subtle ones, I I mean, I got all of them and I just, just one of the best days. I just, I must've listened to it four times in the first two days, the whole album um spooky mormon hell dream just a genius song uh yeah and i've seen it four times at the theater <laughs> and i laugh my ass off every single time
0: i have yet to so. see it but i've been wanting to it just you know doesn't really tour here um mm. you know i was kind of hoping that they would do a film adaptation but you know musicals I'm
1: sure they will one day it's got to be done
0: yeah musicals are actually something that uh they have deep in their dna Uh, The very first thing that those two did together was actually Cannibal, the musical that got released by Troma. And I mean, uh, several of their episodes, like if they if they can't figure anything else out, they just do a quick musical, you know, because they're so quick at just writing songs and putting stuff together. And yes, Mm -hmm. a lot of the musicals may sound a lot alike because they're just doing some of the same backing tracks for the music. But every single thing that they've ever done audio wise has always been super funny to me. Like I, what, st- I still what, love the Brian Boitano song. Like I still jam out to that yeah. when it comes on my iPod or iPhone now,
1: but iPod <laughs> yeah. back then, you know. And and I like the rock cover on the album. Actually, I can't remember which band did. Was it, uh, was it Dropkick Murphys did it? Someone like that. Yeah, um, I believe
0: so. Yes. Um, and yeah, I believe I believe that's cover. the copy I still have is of Dropkick Murphys or whoever doing it. Yeah. Okay. Wait, wait,
1: wait, just a second. Now we've got to think here. Now let's see. What would Brian Boytano do? Yeah, what would Brian Boytano do? Fire! Because when I went to see South Park, the movie, of course, I am South Park mega fan at this point. As so I go and see this movie, I don't know it's a musical. I haven't seen a trailer or anything because this is pre us seeing everything on an internet trailer, really. That that wasn't happening in those days. And it, again, it was joyous because of my upbringing and my relationship with musicals. And, the, and, and when I realized the structure and then you've got the, the lay Miz copy song, um, tomorrow night whatever come and they're all singing different parts and it's basically the pre-interval big number i'm like oh this is amazing these guys just understand musicals so when i found out they were making an actual musical i was not surprised because their pedigree was so strong already um i loved orgasmo (laughs) that's a stupid film but how does orgasmo start with a mormon knocking on the front door (laughs) trying to convert a porn set and then you've got the episode of South Park they did about the Mormon religion, and like all that just comes still together. It's still my favorite musical. South
0: Park of all time that I've seen. I haven't seen a shitload of them, but I love that one dum, 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 yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ask for proof or to have them do it again, smart, smart smart, 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 smart,
1: yeah, just loved it, loved it, so uh, yeah, well that that ladies and gentlemen, I think gives you an insight into. quite why we're doing this and (laughs) where where our heads are at (laughs) yeah
0: this was like an hour plus easy that we did
1: (laughs) yeah um i I mean i'll tell you we had a we had an entire subject we were going to talk about and we've run out of time and we haven't even touched on it so that will be the next episode (laughs) but i'm not surprised And, and this is why we did this because we knew we could just riff on whatever came up Um, And on our other shows we'd have to cut it down We'd have to cut it out And we don't want to We just want to put it out there Because we think people enjoy Listening to our bullshit (laughs) Bullshit artists Bullshit artists Bullshit artists Bullshit artists And if you haven't seen the Greasy Strangler Go and see it to put this show in more context for you Uh, We don't know what the release schedule will be yet We're going to do these when we can um, and it will, yeah, depend on editing time as it always does. Anything else you want to add, sir? Uh,
0: this was a shitload of fun, and uh, I can't believe that we bullshitted this long and didn't talk about what we initially planned to talk about.
1: <laughs> I can. I absolutely can. <laughs> and it will not be the first time or the last time this happens. It, it is, won't be the first it, time. It's it definitely not be the, the last time yeah, this happens. <laughs>
0: it's the first time, but it won't be the last time. Yeah, we'll always mean to talk about one thing, but completely talk about something else because that is the art of bullshit.
1: I can't say any fairer than that. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. Please come back again.
0: I think we just got a slogan there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, we did. B-U-L-S-H-I-T. New word. A-R-T-I-S-T. Spells bullshit artist oh 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 sorry sorry i know <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> screw you guys i'm getting ahead um...
0: <laughs> balzac is not happy with me yeah we'll always mean to talk about one thing but completely talk about something else because that is the art of bullshit